Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of Mihita Talks. I'm very excited to have Robin Ritz here with us. She is the creative visionary and the owner of Incord. Welcome, Robin. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm even more excited. I don't know if you've heard about the Mahita Women in Industry Conference. They just announced coming up in November. Um, so to have you on as such a powerful woman leader in this space, I think is a great intro to hopefully people thinking about going to that conference. So yeah, um, absolutely. You. Yeah, definitely endorse that. And yes, yeah, sign up as soon as you can. <laughs> yes, there isn't. You know, there's more of us in this space than there used to be, but there's still not enough. So we still have some work to do in that area. Um, so I was hoping I'd like to start all of our Mahita talks off with just getting to know our guests a little bit better. So I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about Incord and kind of a short story of how you got started in this space. Sure. So starting with uh, Incord, Incord is a custom safety netting manufacturer. We're located in Colchester, Connecticut. Uh, we're 27 years in business. We're a family-run business. So my sister and I are the women-owned business component of it. She's CEO and I'm the creative visionary. Um, we are a top workplace 11 years in a row voted by our employees. Our objective is to be an exemplary employee, um, but we're also take pride in being a national leader of safety netting specifically, you know, for this podcast audience, safety netting for rack guard safety, for material handling, for that distribution centers, every bit as much for people as for product we're looking to keep people safe. Awesome. So, you know, we always joke that nobody dreamed of kind of, you know, growing up and coming into this industry that they just kind of fell into it. But being a family owned business, you probably knew about this space for much longer, much earlier on in your childhood than the rest of us might have. Well, interesting question. So yes and no. Actually, as a child, I took it upon myself to role play office. I loved, I loved everything that had to do with having a desk, being a secretary, having a typewriter, having labels and sticky notes. I loved all of that. So from a from a child standpoint, I, I love the idea of being. Uh, kind of an just in an administrative role. Uh, my father started this company uh, 27 years ago, so I was already three years into college, had a little bit of experience working at a different safety netting company, so I already had some reception experience, some, some office management experience. So when they asked me to come back and help with Incord, it was still something I loved to do. Um, and then as the years grew, went on, I got to really explore human resources and training and Kaizen principles and creativity. And so while I didn't start out saying I wanted to work in a netting company or for a manufacturer, by following kind of that path of doing the things that came naturally to me uh, from an organizational standpoint or just from a, I see a better way of doing it in the workplace, um, I, I get to be where I am today. And so it's a total gift. It's not premeditated to have been uh, in this position, but it's certainly um, something that I truly value and, and honor. Yeah. So we wanted to talk today about work-life balance. And I think it's a topic that's become a little bit genericized in, in some elements because people talk about it, you know, sort of as this concept and I think it's changed from what it originally kind of meant to what it is today, especially through, you know, the last few years that we've gone through. 
Um, so I was hoping to really just start off with what's your definition of work-life balance? I think the most important word out of all of them is balance. Um, you can be playful at work and you can work hard at playing, but if you don't have the balance of really understanding when am I working and when am I playing and, and when am I allowing for myself to have those almost contradictory roles, um, then that balance becomes something that I that becomes more tangible versus just I'm not working, but I'm, when I'm not at work, I'm still thinking about it and it's always occupying all this mental space. And so somebody might say I only work 40 hours a week, but if their time spent outside of work isn't refilling those wells and replenishing and offering other activities, then you're still out of balance, right? So my kind of the way that I'm looking at that work-life balance is how are you almost compartmentalizing how much energy you're giving to it and how much attention you're giving to it at that time? So some people can be at work and not be present and you're out of balance in that regard too, right? So it's, for me, it's, it's, it's much more about fi finding the balance in your life and then work is a, a, an enjoyable component of that. That makes sense? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, you know, we're in a culture now kind of moving away from the stereotypical 40-hour work week and in talking about work-life balance, you know, I've seen starting to take hours out of the discussion that it's not how many hours necessarily you worked, it's what you were able to accomplish in that in a time frame. You know, so instead of defining it always by hours, maybe it's by accomplishments and about goal setting and things that you've done. You know, and I think some people talk a lot about work-life balance and, you know, different people have different opinions if they think they have a good one or a bad one, you know, and I think it's something everybody really has to define for themselves, as you said, because everybody's life balances differently. But what would you say are some of the causes of people having a poor work-life balance? So I think a lot of it, you know, comes down to what are, what are your, what, what criteria and boundaries do you have in place for yourself? How intentional are you about knowing how many hours you have in a day, how much bandwidth you really have, and then where's, you know, in sales speak, but where's your practical potential? You know, how much time and energy can you give to any one given thing in your waking hours? And then how do we create a balanced structure for making that work within our life? So, you know, it might be, um, it does, it's gonna look different for everybody, but being able to at least start to identify what am I working with is kind of the first place to start. You know, does your job require 60 hours a week or are you on a flex schedule and you're only working three days a month? You know, it, it, that that's kind of like the looking at the structure of it first, like I said, know where you're like, know where you're starting and work with what you got work with how many hours you're trying to fit, fit into a day and then you can start to play with the equations right mm. and i think you know a lot of times especially for women and, and sometimes men but i think it's hard for a lot of people to say no to different tasks that are given them especially when it's a superior asking them to do something and i think a big part of finding that work-life balance is finding the ability to say no when it's appropriate. And I'm sure with all you've had to do and, and where you are with Incord, you've had to say no to something along the way. Um, how would you recommend people say no 
to those things. As a complete sentence. Yeah, say no as a complete sentence. No. Can you do this? No. Um, and it's that honesty, that's integrity. It's it's a place of a healthy boundary. It's a setting of an expectation, um, particularly as women and in, in being in a very compassionate, nurturing type of want to accommodate, want to be the one that, that takes care of things. Um, once that starts to play in with self-worth issues and doing something because you don't want to displease somebody or you're trying to gain approval, we come up with all these reasons why we think we have to say yes. And you know, the two Enneagram mantra, when I serve myself, all others are served. When I'm saying no and creating a healthy boundary, it empowers other people to also create those healthy boundaries, manage reasonable expectations. And then I think the opportunity there is, who else can I get to do it? Is it somebody else's job? Can I teach and empower somebody else? Can I delegate it? Is it a necessary task? Or if I'm the only person that can do it, how am I gonna make time to clear up other things to make it a priority? So there's this creative component to it where if I'm saying no to that, it's because other things are important. But if it really has to be a yes, then I've gotta say no to other things, right? Right. Yeah, it's figuring out, and I, I love your point even about there are other options. You know, you can say no is a complete sentence, but you can figure out a way to get it done, you know, through talking about what those other steps are. I think the number one thing, though, is talking about is it a value added task? And I don't know that it always is. Sometimes they're nice to haves or, you know, sometimes there's more efficient way to do it and kind of going through all those steps. So I think that's really important to not get too caught up in saying no, but saying no with an alternative way to get it done if it needs to be done sure you know what's interesting is i think especially now we're kind of merging these different generations within one business environment and you have companies like incord that are focused on creating this healthy work-life balance but then you have people in maybe a more senior generation that are used to this nine to five you show up to work whether you're sick or not you know in a very diligent way um, I've known people of, of the more senior generation coming in with, you know, of the flu or a broken arm or something, because that's how, you know, they grew up. You come into work during the time that you're scheduled to come in. And I think now with these companies kind of changing the culture to be more flexible and to encourage work-life balance, you have people putting it on themselves. You know that it's not the company telling them they have to do all these things it's how they feel they what they feel they need to do so i would ask how incord has created a culture that really supports a healthy work-life balance so that's a great question thank you uh we really focus on holistic wellness in the workplace for that employee so we do absolutely understand that there are employees that will put an obligation on themselves to think that they must come to work under certain circumstances. So you can reinforce the message that your health is important. We want you to take care of yourself first. Uh, we know if you're sick and you come in, you can't be accurate. You can't be productive. You can't be attentive. So we prefer that you don't please don't, please don't. You have to continue to message, please don't. But I think the bigger piece of it is the value system, valuing that your body is telling you, you need to rest. Valuing that your body is saying, 
we need a break. And that there isn't this messaging from the company, the corporation saying what we need from you is more important than what you need from yourself. And so that constant message back to empowering employees, listen to your body, listen to your intuition, listen to what's going on around you so you can be truthful in that moment and say, I don't feel good, I shouldn't be here. And if you can't do that for yourself, then we beg you, do it for your coworkers. Do it for your coworkers who wanna be here and don't wanna get sick because they've got a thousand other responsibilities that they can't really be distracted from. So, but it's that constant, constant, constant messaging of your health is important, your well-being is important, your mental state is well important. And when you're feeling depleted, we'd much rather have you pay attention to that and come back 100% then coming in in a limited capacity and then compromising the rest of our integrity and you know, the rest of us. So it's like, if you can't respect yourself enough to stay home, can you respect others? <laughs> like, and, and it is that, that thought, oh, I've got to be there. And the other thing I would add to that from purely logistical standpoint is we double down on training. We double down on cross training. We double down on who is your backup and what is the plan if you're out for one day, one week, one month, one year. And we really created those opportunities for managers to lay out that plan. So they or any employee can say, I can't come in today. And they don't have that building stress of, I'm gonna have to do double the work because nobody could do it while I was out. So I think that's the other driving factor of why people won't take vacations. It's like they, they come back to a week's worth of work. And so from a management standpoint, what you do have a responsibility to do for those employees, is not not stay out and then come play catch up for, for the time that you were away. It's stay out, we'll take care of it. And just like you'll back up for somebody else when they're out, we got you. And that's, a, that's the other kind of important feature of saying you don't have to be here, the work will get done. Some of us workaholics really need that work to happen. And so that reassurance of like, go ahead, rest, it'll get done, everything's taken care of. And having that confidence in your support team, I think says now I can, now I can have a day off. And I think without having that, you can say, oh, I don't feel good all day long, but I still have to go in there because I don't feel good when I can't get my work done. So I think that's the other piece of it is like, we have a responsibility to make sure that work's getting done when you're not here, if we're saying, please don't come in. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think that's a piece that a lot of people miss, a lot of company leadership miss, not intentionally. You know, I think they message, take your vacation time, don't come in if you're sick. But I think that backup piece and that training piece is really unique that I don't know a lot of companies really focus on that. And you're so right, it, it's so important. Some people just don't take days off because they don't wanna have to work, you know, 40 or 50 hours the next week. Um, so I think that's a great point and I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys are doing that. Kind of staying on the same topic, but shifting a little bit, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, I think what we've all gone through for the last two or three years now has changed how we all work. Um, no matter who you work for, no matter how you work before, it's changed how we all work. Do you think COVID has had a positive or negative effect on work-life balance? I think it presented new challenges for both employees and employers to sustain a work-life balance because as you know, many work locations shifted to home. So now you can't differentiate when I'm there or not. Um, the opportunities that we saw from a positive standpoint was uh, really 
bolstering communication? What are our most effective levels of communication? How can we make sure that we're still face-to-face -face utilizing the technology available to us to be present on calls and create a structure of uh, consistency that wasn't necessary in a workplace when we were all able to interact with each other as we were coming and going. So now we have to create a structure for us to intentionally communicate. And um, so that opportunity, I would, I think actually was one that we saw benefit from. Um, but I would absolutely say, you know, the other challenges is you've got people at home who now feel isolated. There's a lack of community. So as as luxurious as it sounds when it first starts, there's a whole lot of other social conditions that come with it. And you started to see the 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 fatigue and the burnout and the just lack of socialization, lack of human contact, lack of feeling connected. And that really, I think, was why when it was safe to do so, we got everybody back in the office as fast as we could because we recognized what a critical part that is to us feeling successful and feeling united and feeling whole. And so that was, I think, you know, that, you know, the shift in people still wanting to work from home. Um, I would question how long-termly sustainable that is from a mental health and emotional connectivity standpoint. It feeds into isolation. And I, I think that one of the things that a lot of say we love about going to work is that sense of community, the contact, the energy, the synergy. You don't get that unless you're in the same place. And so that's something that is really important to us. And we, you know, we just, I think if anything, it just made us realize how much more it means to us, how much more we cherish it and value it and we'll, we'll make it intentional. Um, so yeah, it was challenging, but it was kind of just brings out, really just spotlighted what, what's important to us and how do we keep accenting that culture that's important to us. Agreed. And you brought up such a good point. I, and I've, I've kind of struggled with coming to a place of, of really having a strong stance either way. And I, I think it depends on the company itself. Um, but I know for me, you know, I started in this industry when I was only 20 years old. And I learned as much as I did about the industry, not through company meetings, not necessarily through training sessions. I really learned what I did through conversations with people at lunch or people who would stop at my office or I would see somebody doing something that looked really cool and I could stop by and talk to them. And I wonder how somebody coming into a new company today, if it was fully remote, get some of those experiences that for me really changed how I looked at the industry and it really made me more creative and more innovative than I would have been on my own. Because I don't think great ideas happen with any one person. And we can talk about them virtually, but I don't know if the conversation even gets started virtually a lot of times. Yeah, I agree. It's such an energetic component to it. We call it like that osmosis, like you're in the room and you're learning things like even on a subconscious level, you overhear it enough times or it catches you at a point where you go, oh, that's what they were talking about. And I, I like the journey of discovery. I love teach me that. What are you doing? Can I help you with that? What do you let me find out? And and being in a work environment where you're hands on interacting with somebody, you can tell when somebody needs help with something. You can tell when somebody might need either professional help or a human touch, right? And so I think that that is something that 
I really love about working and that love love about community and um, you can't you can't fabricate it without being in person together. It just doesn't it doesn't happen virtually. We've seen it and it, it it's just not the same. Um, so again, like I think you know what what came out of it all is just that like intentionalism about how much we know we love being together and how much um, how important that is for all of us to feel successful really. Right. Well, that's a great point. How would you recommend if an employee feels that they don't have a good work-life balance, how would you recommend that they go about having that conversation with their boss to help rectify that? Uh, I think so. Honesty is the best policy as far as facing it from a factual standpoint. Um, first and foremost, your boss is concerned about your job performance. It's the way they're going to come at you with a conversation. And I would suggest talking about it in the same terms as far as how is it affecting your performance? How is it affecting your morale, your motivation, your accuracy? How is it taking away from what you can truly be contributing in a way that helps that manager understand, I want to give my best. I want to do my best job. But a look at where whether the contributing factors are if their expectations are unreasonable or if the training isn't there or if the sharpest knife isn't there what is it that would allow you know it's not just presenting the the, the problem right is coming in with those solutions and so stating the facts is how it's affecting my job but then here's some and again depending on your manager you might have to ask if they're open to suggestions but ask them if they would be open to some suggestions that you could see for improvement and then that's where you can bring in whether it's it's a tool or a program or more personnel or different expectations or communicating longer lead times or however that is i think that opens the conversation to at least say to the manager how is this relevant to me because ultimately that employee is a reflection of the manager and so that coming at it from an employee standpoint to that manager saying i want to help you look good and i can't right now we're both looking bad right now and 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 at least having having the bravery I think you have to have a little courage to come at it because you're immediately telling them something's wrong something's off you're not managing me well and that's a hard conversation to have but when you can come at it from a place of we're both have the same objective of getting the job done we want to be successful and I physically know I'm not being successful at it right now I need your help and that's what a good manager is going to respond to and say how can I help you and I don't know that you need help unless you're telling me and so don't take it for granted that they see you flailing or that, again, they might say, why don't you quit at five? And you go, well, I got it this, this and this done. And they go, you need to shut it down at five. You're doing that on your time, not, not because I want you to. So just having the courage to approach the conversation, I think, is really the first place to start. But any true manager is going to want specifics and they're going to want what's what's the true solution that you see you know, it's not just complaining. It can't just be a bitch session. Like it's got to be pragmatic in here's the problem, but here's how potentially we could look at approaching a solution for it. And I think in that regard, it creates a partnership between the management and, and that person. And you're, you're back on the page of, we both want to be successful. And so it becomes collaboration versus now we're competing for your, you know, you're good, I'm bad, I'm bad, you're good. Now, no, we're collaborating. We're trying to get successful again. Yeah, and I think the honesty piece is such a big part of it because I think people could go into that conversation feeling they're coming at it from a position of weakness 
you know, that it, it looks weak if you say something like that. But, you know, I like how you flip it. And it, it really is probably the strongest, most courageous thing you can do is just be honest about what you need and what you need to get there. So great. Um, so what are, I mean, you have to be incredibly busy. I'm sure you have 10 million emails right now. What are some things you do to really maintain a healthy work-life balance? Uh, so in 2013, I became a Kaizen News creativity coach. So that was probably the number one resource that I personally was able to adapt as far as enjoyment of process, understanding that work hard, play hard. I have way more enjoyment at work, so I don't have to necessarily escape it as much. I do a lot of what I love to do at work. Um, outside of work, I'm a lead singer in a band. I've got an original music band that I, I, I perform with. Um, I'm in my gardens. I love hiking. I try to be in nature and outside as much as I possibly can, because as you noted, I have a lot of emails. I'm, I'm, I am so connected when I am so connected that when I am not connected, I am not on my phone. I am not checking emails after five. I am not, I am absolutely not doing it. And it's because I physically need that energetic disconnect where I'm giving all my attention back to my body, to my connection with nature, to being grounded, to being present in what I'm doing. You know, as an owner of a company, you never stop thinking about your company and the next thing, and you don't get to always turn it off. But what you can do your you can do yourself the favor of being present in the moment so that when inspiration does come, it's coming to this place of clarity versus constantly muddying waters. And you're like, where is it? I think I saw something shiny there. Um, so that allowing for the lull, I got a zero gravity chair I'm a big fan of. Um, you know, like those restorative yoga. I don't try to do hard things in my free time. Um, I don't, and that's part of me being me, but it's also part of that balance where it's like my brain is overloaded when I'm at work. So if I'm not in a place where I need to be thinking that much, I'm doing something that's way more tangible, physical, abstract, hands in the dirt, um, watching the birds, things that are so opposite that when I come back to it, I'm in a place of feeling refreshed and I want to approach it again. I think so much of our population doesn't fully disconnect. So, you know, you're constantly on your phone, you're constantly checking this or checking that. And um, it, it it's not a full disconnect, you know, it's not going to sleep and then waking back up again. And I think that's that's where you have to find those times of when can I really just extract myself and be intentional about being present, whatever it is that you're choosing to do outside of work, just be present with that. And that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. Great points. And I love that. I would love to hear more about the rock band, but we'll save that for a later <laughs> day. Um, so Robin, you have made it to our lightning round of Mahita Talks. Okay. Um, so I have 10 questions for you. I tried to make them as appropriate as possible. I'm going to ask you the question, and then you're just going to tell me the first thing that comes to your head. Uh, this is just our little way of getting to know you a little bit better. Um, so are you ready to enter the lightning round? <laughs> Yes, I am ready to late. Okay. I like to start off easy. What was your least favorite food as a kid, and do you still dislike it? Uh, squash, and yes, I still don't eat squash. <laughs> what is a skill that you think everyone should have? Uh, can I say two? Literacy and swimming. 
like it. <laughs> What's the worst job you've ever had? I did uh, cold calling telemarketing sales for, I think, a day and a half in college, and that was pretty awful. <laughs> That was a bad one. What is your favorite time of day? Oh, I love holidays. Uh, quitting time, <laughs> turtle time, <laughs> and island time. Those are my favorite times. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Are you a coffee or tea person? Uh, both lots and lots of coffee and then Connecticut winters are brutal. So we get, we get by with black tea at night. <laughs> what is the best compliment you've ever received? I'm a good listener. What was the best decision of your career? best one ever um i don't know what my best one is i think i try to make my best one every day um i think just sticking with it you know just just sticking with the and and continuing to develop my own talents and then empower other people so i could continue to um to ascend i would say that that's what I keep doing is the best thing that I've ever done. It's just what I keep doing. If you could stay invisible for an entire day, what's the first thing you would do? <laughs> I could be invisible. Um, I don't know. I guess I'd probably sneak into some place that I thought I couldn't get into. So um, <laughs> I don't exactly know what type of going to, but if I'm invisible, I'm definitely going to be crossing some lines. I don't know where, but yes, I'm going to take advantage of that. <laughs> Have you ever met a celebrity? Um, clearly not, because I'm not pulling one up. <laughs> not big, not big <laughs> And finally, what's one quirk that you have? Well, the laughing thing, my daughter gets loud because I, I laugh really loud. That's very quirky, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, um, that's, a, that's a long list and you could probably rewatch this <laughs> podcast and identify some for me. But yeah, I've got a, you got a loud laugh. That's <laughs> it, I love loud yeah. laughs. Yeah. Um, well, you made it through our lightning round. Congratulations, Robin. Thank you. Um, sadly, that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Are there any kind of parting words you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, I just back to the to the ladies in in the Mahita community. Um, get engaged, stay engaged. You know, be part of the community. It's always so inspiring to just be in the room with other women. Um, so taking advantage of the conferences or taking advantage of the opportunities that are put out there, um, just keep putting yourself out there is what I would say. And, um, you know, the world needs your late too. Well, thank you so much, Robin, for being a part of this. And um, we you. hope to have you on again and we appreciate your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been watching yeah. Mahita Talks with Sherry Altergott. We'll see you next time.